The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. All right. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome wherever you are this morning. If you're watching live today, welcome to Story City Church. We're glad you're here. There's a great group out on the lawn to my right this morning here in Granada Hills. If you cheer really loud, I can see you. We can hear you in here this morning. We're glad you're here. And then next Sunday, don't forget, we're going to be uh, meeting in person again outside at Pickwick Garden. So we want to invite you, if you live in Los Angeles, to our gathering next Sunday. Now, if you've not been with us since late August, We've been in a series in the book of Acts. I'm really excited about this series. And I love this series because the book of Acts has so much to tell us about the early church. The book of Acts also has so much to inform the current church, our church, and the church globally. And so I'm so excited. If you've missed the series so far, let me just catch you up. Up until this point in the book of Acts, Up until Acts chapter 5, which is where we are today, the gospel is flourishing. The early church is preaching the gospel, and people's lives are being changed by the gospel, and the church is being added to daily. The church is not being added to because there's a great personality that's preaching. It's not being added to because there's celebrity power. It's not being added to because they've got great online content. The church is being added to because the gospel is being preached, And people's lives are being changed. They're being transformed by the power and the preaching and the demonstration of the gospel. So in Acts chapter 1, our first week in this series, we see in verse 8 that Jesus promised the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel is going to start in Jerusalem. It will move to Samaria and then to to Judea, Samaria, and then it's going to move to the ends of the earth. We get into Acts chapter 2. And the apostles are preaching the gospel. It's a miraculous moment in every modern language. And the people are listening to the preaching of the gospel in every modern language. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, the people who are listening say, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they asked the apostles, what must we do? And then we get a couple verses later in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. And it says that day there were about 3,000 people whose lives are changed by the gospel, and they were transformed, and they were added to the church. Then we get to Acts chapter 3, and Peter and John perform a miracle on the steps of the temple court. And this lame man is healed and later gives his life to Jesus. Then we get into Acts chapter 4, and Peter and John are preaching the gospel to the crowds who have just seen this lame man healed. And because of it, Peter and John are thrown in prison. But in verse 4, it says... But many of those who had heard the message believed. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Then we move over into Acts chapter 5, and we get into verse 14, and the apostles are preaching the gospel. They're demonstrating the power of the Holy Spirit through miracles and wonders and signs. And the Bible says in verse 14 of chapter 5, Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord. And were added to their number to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets. And they laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any of them. And so up until Acts chapter 5, what we're seeing is 
the miraculous preaching of the gospel, the miraculous saving of people's lives and their souls. But I want you to see what's going to happen here. We're going to have a shift in the narrative in Acts chapter 5 this morning. In the middle of all that God was doing, believe it or not, there are people who are turned off by what's happening. There are people that are turned off by what's happening. I think about early on in the life of Story City Church. When we came to this city, we said we're going to be a city that, that owns the neighborhood. We're going to serve the communities that sustain us. And so we offered all types of events. We offered free events. We, we did things for families. We did things for our community. And I just remember there were people turned off by what we were doing. We had the police called on us. We had people that wrote negative reviews about us online. We, we had people that literally yelled at us when we were trying to give away free gift cards. And so in the midst of everything that God is doing in Acts chapter 5, we have a shift in the narrative. And and even though we're seeing people's lives change, we're now seeing people who are turned off by the preaching of the gospel. And the people who aren't happy here in Acts chapter 5, believe it or not, are the religious people. And Peter and John are put in prison for the second time for everything that's happened. And there's this miraculous moment while they're in prison. The gates are open. Peter and John go out from the prison for the second time. And Peter and John preach the gospel again. And as they're preaching the gospel, the police go out and they round up Peter and John for the third time. And they bring them to the religious people, to, to the religious council of the day. And they stand in front of the, of the religious leaders. They've been in prison twice. And Peter and John preach the gospel again. They tell the religious leaders, you need to repent. They tell them, you need to believe in Jesus. And so we come to the passage that's in front of us today. The church has been on mission. They've been doing what Jesus asked them to do in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And so up until this point, we've already seen literally thousands of people whose lives have been changed by the gospel when they're confronted with the gospel. But today, we have a shift in the narrative. We see that the church who lives on mission is not only going to see the power of the gospel change people's lives, but we're going to see this morning that the church that lives on mission is also going to face hostility. Not everybody who hears the gospel is changed by it. And sometimes hostility and opposition is an indicator that a church is living on mission. Sometimes it's an indicator that the gospel is advancing. And so I want to preach a message today titled, The Hostility Towards a Church on Mission. Acts chapter 5 is our text. We're going to be in verse 33. We're going to skip down to verse 40 and then go to 41 and 42. Let me read Acts chapter 5, verse 33 for us. Verse 33 says, But when they had heard this, they, meaning the religious leaders who called Peter and John in for preaching the gospel, they, the religious leaders who had already put Peter and John in prison twice, when the religious leaders heard this, what is this? This is the gospel. Peter and John told them, you need to repent. You need to believe in Jesus. Your sins put Jesus on the cross. When the religious leaders who put Peter and John in prison heard the gospel that they need to repent and believe in Jesus, listen to what verse 33 says. It says they were cut to the heart. There's a couple things I want you to see in this passage this morning about the church that's on mission and preaching the gospel. And the first thing that I want you to see is this. When the church preaches the gospel... People experience 
conviction. When the church preaches the gospel, people experience conviction. So there's an important word picture here in Acts chapter 5, verse 33. The important phrase is this. It says, cut to the heart. It's a word picture. It's a beautiful word picture here of something that's being sawed and sawed and sawed and sawed in two. And so there are two halves that are laid open and bare. It's a beautiful word picture for how the gospel affects people's lives and their hearts when they hear the gospel. The gospel, when it's preached, will have its intended effect. It will bring conviction. And the conviction is going to result in typically one of two things. People are going to have their lives changed by the gospel, or they're going to be convicted by the preaching of the gospel and they're going to turn their own way, and sometimes it results in anger and hostility. Have you ever been caught red-handed doing anything? I, uh, I catch my kids red-handed all the time. I was caught red-handed all the time as a kid when I did something. I've been caught red-handed on multiple occasions um, in Burbank when I was driving in Burbank. One of those times cost me almost $800, and so I'm driving down Magnolia Boulevard, and I've got my phone in my hand. And I'm driving with my phone in my hand, and this police officer, I know him by name now because he's pulled me over multiple times. I also know that he's a believer. He loves Jesus, and he's a good man. But at that moment, that's not what I was thinking. I have my phone in my hand, and I'm driving down Magnolia, and I'm texting or ordering pizza. I don't even remember what I was doing, but I have my phone in my hand, and he pulls up beside me on his motorcycle, and he's staring me down. And so there's this moment where... I'm looking at him, he's looking back at me, and I know that he knows that I know I, I've done something wrong. And so he pulls me over. He pulls me over like, like he should have done in that moment. And I know that he knows that I know that, that I've really done something wrong. And so in that moment, I had this option. I had the moment, the, the option in the moment to, to just fabricate a lie and say, you know what, you really didn't see what you thought you saw. I wasn't on my phone. But he called me right. He was looking at me. I was looking at him, looking at me. And I could have said, you know, you didn't really see what you thought you saw. Or I had this moment to say, you know what? I admit it. Uh, I, I fess up to it. You did see what you thought you saw. I got called. I admit it. I fess up to it. Or I had this moment where I could say, you know what? Um, I, I can deny it like it never happened. Uh, years ago, I was preaching at this camp in New Mexico, and there was a few campers who, were, um, who I'd gotten to know during the week. And so one of those campers, I was sitting at a cafe one night after a message, and, and the camper came up to me, and she'd been crying all day, and she was crying as she was sitting in front of me. And uh, she talked for 15 minutes about how everything in life was awful and bad, bad at home, bad at school, bad everywhere else. And so after 15 minutes of talking, I looked at her in the eyes, and I said, Amanda, have you ever trusted Christ for salvation? She said, I don't, I don't, well, I don't know. I uh, pastored one time. I prayed. I, I don't really know. And so I, I took the Bible. I was sitting in the cafe that night. I took the Bible, and I put it in front of her, and I turned to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and I, and I placed it in front of her, and I said, Amanda, I just want to read a couple verses. I want you to read a couple verses to me, and I'd like for you to tell me what you think they mean. And so we turned to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. I put the Bible in front of her, and I pointed to it, and she began to read out loud. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Amanda, do you know what that means? 
God created me? I said, that's exactly right. God created you. He's responsible for you. You're not a happenstance circumstance. You're not an accident. God is responsible for you. Turn to John chapter 3, verse 16. I pointed to the verse, and she began to read it out loud. For God so what? Loved. For God so loved the world. The man, do you know what that means? God loves me? That's exactly right. God created you. He's responsible for you. You don't have a circumstance or accident. God created you. Not only did he create you, Amanda, but he loves you. I turned over to Romans chapter 3, verse 23, and I put my finger on the verse, and she began to read out loud. For all have, what does the Bible say? Sinned. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sometimes she knew what a verse meant. Sometimes she didn't know what the verse meant. God created you. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. You're in a happenstance, circumstance, accident. John 3, 16, God loves you. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, but even though God created you and he loves you, Amanda, there's a problem between you and God, and that problem is called sin. I turn to Romans chapter 6, verse 23, and I put my finger on the verse, and she read it out loud. For the wages of sin is what? What does the verse say? Death. For the wages of sin is death. Do you know what that means, Amanda? I'm going to die? That's exactly right. But not only that, it means that there's never a solution to your problem called sin in this life. You're dead to God in this life, but when you die, you will be dead to him for eternity. Then I turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Turn back to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Put my finger on the verse, and she began to read out loud. But God demonstrated his what? Love for us. He demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amanda, God created you. He's responsible for you. John three sixteen. God loves you. But Amanda, there's a problem between you and God, and that problem is called sin. And there's never a solution to that problem called sin. The Bible says you will be dead to God in this life, but more than that, you will also be dead to God in the life to come. But Amanda, the wonderful news of the gospel is that Jesus demonstrated his love for you on the cross while you were still a sinner, while there was nothing you could do to solve the problem that you have between you and God. Jesus went to the cross in his love for you, and he died for you. And up until that moment, Amanda's tears had dried up, and then we turned over to Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, and I began to read the verse out loud for her, that if you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you will be what? Saved. At that point, Amanda read the scripture to herself, and she, she started to cry again. I looked at her in the eyes. I said, Amanda, what, what's going on? She said, well, I've never, really, I've never really understood the Bible like this. I've really never understood this before. I said, well, what do you want to do? She said, I want to give my life to Christ. I think it's an amazing moment sitting there in that cafe that evening. Amanda heard the gospel, and there was nothing magical or mystical about how the gospel was presented. There was no fancy content, no fancy media, no extraordinary worship team. It was a moment sitting at a cafe table where the gospel was exposed to her heart. And what the gospel did is what it always does when the gospel is exposed to people's heart. It divided her heart in two. And she knew that God knew that she had a problem between her and God. And she had the opportunity. Either I admit my sin, bow my knee, ask Jesus for forgiveness and allow him to save me, or I deny it and go my own 
way. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joint and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And when it does so, when it does so, all things and all things and all things and all things, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 says, are laid open and bare before the eyes of God with whom we have to live. That's the power of the gospel that we preach. That's the power of the gospel that we offer to a community has the power to penetrate hearts, to change lives, to transform people when we release the gospel. But listen to me, church, this morning. This is not what the message is about today, but listen to me. But sometimes the gospel has the opposite effect, just like it does here in this passage. Not everybody's life is changed by the gospel. Sometimes people are offended. Sometimes people are turned off by the gospel. Sometimes people refuse the gospel. Sometimes the gospel causes people to be angry. The early church experienced anger. They experienced hostility when they preached the gospel. I want you to see the hostility that Peter and John experience here. Acts chapter 5, verse 33. This is the second half of the first verse. Listen to what it says. It'll be on the screen. But when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Now listen to what happened. And those people who heard the gospel, who had their heart cut into, the scripture says, and they intended to kill them. Skip down to verse 40. I'll tell you what happens in between in just a moment. But verse 40 says, and they took his advice. And they called the apostles in and they flogged them and they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they released them. You know, sometimes the gospel changes people's lives, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it causes the opposite effect. In this case, it says the gospel caused them to want to kill Peter and John. So what happens in between verse 33 and verse 40. Well, this well-respected gentleman stands up in the middle of the council and he says, hold on just for a moment, guys. He puts Peter and John out in the hallway and then he looks at the men in the room and he says, guys, I need you to calm down for just a moment. Listen to me. There are people who are watching, so we need to be careful what we do and how we treat these men here. Now, listen to what I need to say to you men. Men, there were other men just like Peter and John who have come before us with similar religious messages. And when those men came along, there were people who followed them, but there was something that happened. When those men died, their message died out with them. So here's what I recommend we do, because we need to be careful, because people are watching. Rather than kill them, here's what I recommend we do. I recommend we bring them back in, we rough them up a little bit, we tell them, don't preach and teach in the name of Jesus, or things are going to get worse. Because here's the deal. This is what he tells them. Because the men who came along before, they preached the messages and they died and their message died out. If these men are not from God, we've got nothing to worry about because their message is going to die with them. But if these men are from God, there's nothing we could do about it anyway. And so the cowards in the room took Gamaliel's advice, and they called the apostles back in out of the hallway. And the scripture says they, they flogged them, they beat them with whips on their backs and their arms and their legs. And they told them not to talk about Jesus anymore. 
And so this is the first instance in the New Testament, aside from Jesus, where the church is going to suffer for preaching the gospel. The suffering is going to continue until we get to Acts chapter 7, verse 54, all the way down to verse 60, where the first Christian, whose name was Stephen, is going to be martyred for his faith. Here's the second thing I want you to understand about when the church preaches the gospel. Not only do people experience conviction, but when the church preaches the gospel, listen to me, church, sometimes there are consequences. Sometimes there are consequences. In 2013, a church in Austin, Texas, named Austin Stone, had a season where they were focused on missions. And during that season of focus on missions around the world, they sent over 100 people out of their church to preach the gospel and evangelize people in places where the gospel was not well known. One of those missionaries' name was Ronnie Smith. Ronnie was a a young leader at the stone. If you knew him, you knew that he was a passionate follower of Jesus. And so Ronnie and his wife, Anita, packed up everything they owned, and they moved to Benghazi, Libya, to make the gospel known. Not long after they had been there, there was significant unrest in the country, and Ronnie was asked by a pastor friend if he thought it was too dangerous for he and his family to stay in the city. To which Ronnie replied, it feels to be home. There is literally no other place on earth that we would rather be. Nowhere. And not long after that conversation, that pastor described what happened next. And I just want to read it to you this morning. A black Jeep circled Ronnie several times as he was on his daily jog in his neighborhood in Benghazi, Libya. Two Libyans in the Jeep pulled up to a car, stopped nearby. They asked, is that the American? And the man who was smoking and waiting in his car said, yes, he lives here and he's a good man. Ronnie had lived in Benghazi for nearly a year teaching science to Libyan high school students. He loved working in education as it gave him the opportunity to invest into Libya's next generation. The black jeep circled back to Ronnie. A quick word was exchanged and then the Libyan men emptied six bullets into Ronnie's chest, killing him instantly. Ronnie's wife and two-year-old son returned to the U.S. just two weeks before for their Christmas holiday. Ronnie died on December the 5th, 2013, one week before he was supposed to join them. And so the news reports after this all came out, many of people in the news wondered why a guy like Ronnie would even move to a hostile place like Libya in the first place. But all of heaven knew. Ronnie was following Jesus, and he was trying to take as many people with him as he possibly could. Sometimes we hear stories like that, and, and immediately we think, well, that's definitely and, and probably thankfully not our experience here in the U.S. And I would say to you this morning, well, you are right. But there is growing hostility to gospel ministry around the world. Pastor, author, scholar, Dr. D.A. Carson said, more people have been martyred for following Christ in the last century than in all of the first 1900 years of the church's history. And even though and while we've not yet experienced hostility to the point of martyrdom here in the U.S., 
I think many of you probably know this to be true, hostilities still exist towards anything Christian in the form of threats, intimidation, negativity. You probably understand this given the current environment we're currently in, but Christians and pastors are constantly being intimidated. Anytime we mention things about biblical morality, including the Bible's clear description of the sin of homosexuality and abortion and the clear distinctions of gender. When we moved here, not long after we moved here, Chick-fil-A was building a location in Burbank. Of course, being from Atlanta, where Chick-fil-A is headquartered, we love Chick-fil-A. And so my wife posted on a mom's page, man, we're so excited for Chick-fil-A. We love Chick-fil-A. Literally, that's all she said. She was called a bigot on the mom's page. Not once, not twice, three times she was called a bigot. Why? Why would you support a Christian organization with those values that believes homosexuality is a sin? You need to understand today, even though we may not be experiencing Acts chapter 7, verse 54 through 60, the martyrdom of Stephen, we are experiencing intimidation, hostility, threats. Why? Because the cross of Jesus Christ is offensive. It's offensive to our culture And our culture is increasingly growing hostile towards those of faith. Now, there are those of you out there this morning that are peacemakers, and maybe you've never experienced hostility, and you don't even want to bring up the fact that there's hostility going on in the culture. It doesn't negate the fact that hostility is happening. And as culture grows more hostile, unlike the early church, the question is, are we going to become more silent? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let me read that for you again. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Pastor, I've never experienced intimidation. I, I, I've never been ridiculed. I've never been made fun of because I'm a Christian. Listen to me very closely this morning. I want to say this to you with passion and compassion. It may be because nobody knows you're a Christian. The church will face hostility. The church inevitably is going to face hostility as we live as light in a dark place, as the light exposes the idol's of a dark culture, we're inevitably going to face hostility when we follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Why? Because the gospel challenges people's beliefs. It challenges people's freedom. It challenges their pride. In the text here in Acts chapter 5, this group is filled with jealousy and anger. They hated the testimony of the apostles. That testimony told them that they're sinners guilty of crucifying Jesus. They probably didn't realize it in the moment, but what they're actually fighting against was the very purpose for which the universe was created. They're fighting against the purpose of the worship and the exaltation of Jesus and the abandonment of our sinful idols that never bring what they promise they're going to bring. Don't you understand when we point out the foolish idols of our culture? 
When we tell people, you know what, the idol of significance that you're chasing today, the idol of control where you think you've got your life under control, the idol of pleasure that you're seeking after, that idol will never satisfy you. And not until you abandon those idols and turn to Jesus. Don't you understand? When we point out the idols to a culture, they're going to be angry. People love their idols. I love this idol that I just want to be significant and nothing will stand in my way in this city to be significant. People love the thought that I can, I'm in control of my life and, and nothing can stop me because I'm going to work harder. I'm going to grind more. I'm going to realize my own future. People love the idol of pleasure. Nothing will stand in my way of experiencing the pleasurable life that I desire. And the message of the gospel confronts all of those idols. Because the message of the gospel calls people to abandon those idols and instead look to Jesus. And that message offends people. And sometimes it causes people to be hostile. You realize not everybody's going to respond in faith when the church preaches the gospel. When we live out the gospel. But listen to me, church. Just because not everyone responds in faith and some people respond in hostility. Listen to me. It does not mean we should hoard the gospel to ourselves. I want you to be encouraged by the last two verses in this passage. Verse 41. I want you to see what happens here. It says, so, so Peter and John went on their way from the presence of the council. Listen to what happened. Rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Verse 42, and every day in the temple, that's in public, and from house to house, that's in private, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So the apostles are told, this is the second time, this is the third time now they've been told, stop teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus. They come out of the presence of the council. They've got bruises on their backs. They've got bruises on their arms. I imagine there's public notice given of what's happened to them having been beaten for Jesus. And what does it say they do? They don't go back to their own little corner and say, you know what, maybe we should just keep, play this safe and keep this to ourselves. The Bible says they rejoiced. And rather than being ashamed for what happened, they experienced joy because they were counted worthy to be considered, to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. Listen to this. Not only do they go back preaching the gospel, they were told, stop teaching about Jesus. Don't do it anymore. This is the third time. Not only do they go back to house to house and preach the gospel, the Bible says here they preach the gospel in public, the very place, the very thing they were told not to do, and they suffered because of it. Now listen to me. When the church preaches the gospel, people experience conviction. When the church preaches the gospel, there will be consequences. But listen to me, church. When the church preaches the gospel, there will always be joy. When the church preaches the gospel, there will always be joy. Can we just admit this morning, that's the opposite expectation that we usually have of the preaching of the gospel, isn't it? Maybe you brought somebody to church before and the gospel was preached and you cringed because you expected them to retaliate, to be angered, to stop taking your phone calls and your texts, to lose the friendship. 
It's the opposite expectation that we have. We think of the expectation in terms of my pride. My pride is going to take a hit if I, if I let them know that I'm a Christian. We, we typically think in terms of suffering. Well, how is this going to affect my job? We think in terms of the loss of our friendship. Well, the apostles show us the true expectation here. The true expectation is that when the gospel is preached, joy is the experience. About three weeks ago, a a friend in our church, he's actually here today, called me and texted me and said, hey, I need some counsel about some things. My work has told me that they've seen some of my Facebook posts and that I'm going to worship on Sundays, and they've told me I, I have to stop doing that in order to continue working here. So I just need some counsel as to what to do. Well, the bull in the china shop had one response that I won't tell you what I thought in the moment, but the other response was, well, let's, let's figure out what we need to do. So his ultimate response to his job saying, you cannot go to worship because we think it presents health risks, his response was, well, I'll do everything you need me to do while I'm here. I'll mask up. I'll get tested every week. I'll do everything I need to do, but I'm a Christian, and I'm going to worship I'm not going to stop. Two weeks ago, he texted me, and I saw him in person in this auditorium that I'm in this morning. And he said, they fired me. Well, when I saw him in this auditorium two weeks ago, I looked him in the eyes, and I want to tell you what I saw. I didn't see a man who was defeated. I didn't see a man who wanted to cower in the corner. You know what I saw? I saw joy. You know what he said to me? I wrote it down because I wanted it to be accurate. He said, I have no regrets. I feel at peace about it. <laughs> I feel at peace. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, Brothers, do not be surprised at the present suffering that you are going through as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may experience joy when his glory is revealed. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, one of the Beatitudes, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Listen to what Jesus says. Rejoice and be glad. Why? For great is your reward in heaven. You know, a couple months ago, we took up a relief fund for people in our church who needed it. You know, I think a man in our church who loves Jesus is going to stand for his faith, who gets fired for it, that's a great place to put some of those dollars, don't you, this morning? So he doesn't know this, but we're going to give him a check this week because he's unemployed and he's not even worried about it and probably would refuse it, but we're going to give it to him anyway. You know Why? Because God knows every hair on your head, and I promise you, God understands. In Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 7, we get to the martyrdom of Stephen. It's the first time we see Jesus standing at the right hand of God when a man is killed and loses his life for his faith. You know what I think happens there? And I'm, maybe I'm giving away the sermon that day. But I know what I think happens there is Jesus, with tears in his eyes, is standing up. Looking down on Stephen. 
And the words from his lips are, well done, my good and faithful servants. I ask you this morning, what will the church do in the face of hostility? What should we do in the face of hostility? What, may I ask it more personally this morning, and please hang on for the next two minutes and we're done. What will you do in the face of hostility? Will you recluse? Will you keep your faith to yourself? Will you hoard the gospel to yourself? Imagine, just for a moment, just imagine for a moment, Peter and John, having experienced brutality and and suffering for the gospel, imagine Peter and John going back to the apostles and the early church after this, and instead of preaching the gospel in private and in public, imagine this, they go back to the early church and the known believers at the time, and they said, you know what, this is a really dangerous situation. Some of us could get beaten up. Some of us could lose our jobs. And even worse, some of you could lose your life if we keep preaching the gospel. So what we're going to propose we should do here is we're just going to focus on us. We're going to focus on those who are already saved, and we're just going to do Bible study, and we're just going to disciple those new believers, and we're not going to preach the gospel on the outside because it's dangerous. Listen, we're not going to do that. If somebody comes in, they walk into our gathering, they come into our home gathering, and they ask about Jesus, for sure, we'll give them the gospel. If somebody shows up, we'll be happy to tell them about Jesus. But besides that, we really think the appropriate response, given what's happened in our culture, is that we should keep our faith to ourselves. We should just go private about it. Because we believe in the sovereignty of God. Whatever will happen will happen anyway, so we just keep it to ourselves. Do you know what would happen if the early church had hoarded the gospel to themselves? The promise of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the gospel and its power by the Holy Spirit and the power of the gospel will begin in Jerusalem, will move to Judea, will move to Samaria. You know we're not to Samaria yet in Acts chapter 5. It's only in Judea, Jerusalem, Judea. We'll move to Samaria. The promise that Jesus makes in Acts 1.8, which we started this series with, is that the gospel will go to the ends of the earth. Imagine if the apostle said, we're going to keep it to ourselves. You know what happened? The mission of God in Acts chapter 8, the promise of God in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 would never have had a chance to be fulfilled. In fact, I believe there's probably a 100% chance that you would not be listening to the preaching of the gospel today. You would not be here today. Maybe you'd be worshiping some other deity. Maybe watching the NFL. Maybe at your mountain house. Or maybe you'd be at the beach this morning. If the apostles, in the face of hostility, said, you know what? But Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The power of the Spirit of God will come on you. And when the power of the Spirit of God comes on the church and the church preaches the gospel, regardless of what happens, people's lives are going to be changed. There will be some people that won't be happy, but we're more committed to the power of the Spirit of the living God changing people's lives than we are committed to our own safety. Will you allow the Spirit of God to move through you? to a culture that needs to hear the life-changing message of the gospel. 
I pray that's the case for our church today. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes wherever you are today. If you're watching online, if you're here on the lawn at Granada Hills, just bow your heads and close your eyes, and we're going to close. Maybe this morning you have found yourself in this worship gathering and you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never trusted your sins to Jesus on the cross. Maybe you've never come to a point where you say, okay, Jesus, I admit I am a sinner. You don't become a Christian because you go to church or you do Christian things. You become a a Christian when you get on your knees and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I've got a problem between you and me and I cannot solve the problem myself. Only you on the cross can solve the problem. So Jesus, today, I trust in what you did on the cross. If you've never given your life to Jesus, in Jesus' name, stop denying it today and give your life to Jesus. Nothing magical or mystical about it. We don't embarrass you, make you say anything you don't want to say. But if you're watching online, there's one of two ways you can respond. One, you can send an email, prayer at storycitychurch.com. You can comment in the chat if you're on Facebook. If you're not on Facebook, you can jump on Facebook after this message this morning, whether you're on YouTube or on our website, and send us a message, and someone from our staff will reach out to you and help you begin a relationship with Jesus. Now, secondly... And we're done. Church, Jesus has given us a mission. And some of us this morning have been living a life that's not true. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. We've never experienced it because you know why? People probably don't know we're believers. Some of us need to make steps to going public with our faith. If nobody ever went public, then you wouldn't have faith yourself. So why do you keep hoarding it today? Jesus, thank you for the scripture. Thank you for our time together in the word. May we be a church that lives on mission in the face of a hostile culture. God, let us be bold. Give us courage to be people who preach the gospel, live the gospel, share the gospel and leave the results to you. In Jesus' name, amen.